0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture.
1: Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello everyone, welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and starting your week off with us. We appreciate it. Hope you had a very good holiday weekend and we had some hot weather move in, and looks like it may be with us for a while. We'll be talking about that with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson on the program today. Also, Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, will join us. A number of things to talk about, including still no RVO numbers, those. Uh, Projections, those uh, numbers for use of biofuels for the next year from EPA. Still waiting on that. We'll talk about that and some other proposals and things going on with biofuels with Brian Jennings. And an update on the Kansas wheat harvest. Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat, will join us for a report. We'll start the week off with Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Hope you had a good fourth
2: we certainly did. I hope you did, too, Mike. It's always a pleasure to be with you.
1: Yeah, thank you. We really did. And, uh, you know, we now we look at this post-4th of July for what happens in Congress. They're still not actually in session, but there's still some uh, work going
2: on, isn't there? There is. There's been a lot of discussions happening behind the scenes about what the next coronavirus relief package is going to look like. Uh, senators have had a lot of talk about what the ag provision should include, uh, whether or not there will be liability protection for businesses that have had employees who have contracted uh, COVID-19, uh, a lot of talk about uh, whether or not there should be some tightening of restrictions on what Secretary Perdue can actually do with any new money that's coming out. So a lot of behind-the-scenes discussions, as well as um there are uh, starting to be some subcommittee hearings. For example, the House Ag Appropriations Subcommittee is going to meet tonight and start marking up the next funding package for bills that cover both uh, USDA and FDA and the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. So there's, uh, there's work happening, Mike.
1: Yeah, those spending bills, uh, those appropriations uh, uh, bills, those are ones to keep an eye on right now.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting. We reported on the, some of the primary provisions last night in a story that's on our website. But, um, you know, for example, priorities have been given to rural broadband. USDA would get another $1.1 billion under this package if it stays intact. And of course, it's just starting at the subcommittee level. It's got to go full committee and through the Senate. But uh, there's priority given to broadband as well as uh, more money for USDA research. And so uh, I think it's very clear that the pandemic has influenced uh, some of the priorities in these spending packages.
1: Yeah, and we keep uh, close watch, too, on uh, what they do with uh, CCC and, and replenishing that money, as well as any strings attached as far as oversight.
2: Yeah, you know, the USDA has already delivered about a third of the 16 billion in CFAP that was promised. Uh, So uh, a little under 5 billion is out there, most of it to livestock, of course, uh, but also to non specialty crops, uh, corn, soybeans, um, another billion for dairy, and specialty crops get about 113 million. But what's happening as they look ahead? is, as you know, in the HEROES Act that passed the House, there are some strings attached to what the Secretary could do with money. And also there's a big push to deliver more money under the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP. Uh, So there's there's going to be waivers or strings attached uh, on the House side and probably on the Senate side as well, and they'll just have to come together and figure out where they can get to a workable next round of relief that's so sorely needed, as you know, from talking to producers.
1: Sarah, I'm going to talk later with Brian Jennings with the American Coalition for Ethanol. Um, the whole small refinery exemption issue is still very hot politically as we're in this uh, election cycle. Uh, but also the fact now EPA has not come out with the the their proposals for uh, what levels of biofuels to be used under the RFS for next year. Some thought that would have already happened by now, and so far nothing from EPA. Uh, this really is uh, a big issue in rural America in this campaign.
2: It certainly is. You've probably seen the back and forth between Senator Joni Ernst and her challenger on the Democratic side, Teresa Greenfield, uh, as they discussed why this decision has not already been made and, and how it's going to come out in the uh, in the very end. There's been several reports that EPA is indefinitely delaying the proposal uh, just because they want to get past the election. And I, I don't know that that's going to do anything to really serve uh, the Republican candidates very well because they they need a decision now if they're going to be able to defend it. And uh, so we're, we're watching this closely to see if those reports are accurate, and I'm sure that Brian will give you some other insight on how he's viewing this. It's a very critical thing for the, for the biofuels industry, and certainly they've been under so much pressure during the pandemic as well. Financially, they would need a big win right now to try to start recovering.
1: Yeah, a delay after all that's happened to the biofuels industry—a delay till after the election—that that won't be good enough to uh, appease the concerns of the biofuels industry and the supporters of that industry.
2: Absolutely not. And as you know, Iowa is a critical state for Trump's reelection. And so I, uh, we'll we'll see whether or not they can find a balance and make a decision here earlier than later. Uh, The delay, I don't think, helps anybody politically.
1: Uh, What are you hearing on the startup of USMCA? Still there, Sarah? Uh,
2: Yes, can you hear me? There you
1: are. Yeah, I can now, yeah. Okay,
2: sorry. That's why we do need more broadband out here, Mike. Um, Yes. So, yeah, everyone was celebrating the uh, official start of USMCA, but there are still a few wrinkles that have to be resolved, including on biotech approvals. You know, one of the things that was really important for growers was that they could get um, not only their products approved in the US, but the same kind of biotech that can help Mexican growers as well. And so far there's been, especially on the cotton side, a lot of growers who are frustrated because uh, their government is not approving new biotech trades. And of course, if there are also restrictions on glyphosate in Mexico, uh, that can cause some problems. So we see that there's uh, a few more things that have to be worked out with Mexico as well as Canada. But the good news is that the agreement has been uh, finally in force, and now they, they can continue to work these things out, hopefully, and get both sides um, of the AIL to, uh, to see that the, you know, these additional provisions that were so important to the New Deal can get resolved.
1: Very good. Sarah, good to talk with you. Have a good week, and we'll talk again next
2: week. Thanks so much, Mike. You
1: too. All right. Thank you, Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Up next, the hot weather forecast from DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
1: Well, the hot weather moved in for much of the country over the holiday weekend. Let's check in with DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, hope you had a good fourth. Does hot weather stay with us now?
0: Looks like it's going to over the next two weeks, Mike. Uh, The the next uh, couple days have heat advisory notices in effect across quite a bit of the eastern Midwest, not heat indexes, but heat uh, heat index advisories, I should say. Uh, so the, the air temperature is not necessarily going to be around 100, but the effective temperature, the heat index, is going to uh, reach the upper 90s uh, to the low 100s uh, with the actual air temperature in the low to mid 90s. And I'm uh, stressing this part of the Midwest because from uh, the eastern half of Illinois, east all the way into western Pennsylvania, covering Indiana, Ohio, and Michigan, uh, there's been very little rain. Uh, You've got corn going into pollination. The likelihood of uh, rainfall this week is uh, pretty low, and uh, there's just a a pervasive, uh, inconsistent, very warm to hot uh, pattern that's going to put a lot of stress on this crop. Over the remainder of the Midwest, uh, there's been uh, some rainfall that uh, has been quite beneficial so the, the conditions are better but uh, the likelihood of uh, some pretty stressful conditions over oh my goodness uh, a good uh, 40% or so of the Midwest uh, that's a you know that's quite a problem uh, that could be uh, developing and uh, is likely to continue now as we look all the way into the next uh, 10 to 14 days.
1: Yeah, let's break this down a little bit on on the rainfall. I'm in an area in west central Illinois. We were very blessed last week, four to five inches uh, in many parts of this area. We were very fortunate. It came in a good way without uh, winds and without any damage. It just came and really soaked in and was great. But other areas have not had nearly that much, if any, and other areas way, way more than that, too much in some cases. Can we break this down as we go around uh, the country here, uh, kind of the haves and have-nots on the rainfall so far?
0: Well, over the eastern Midwest, I split things uh, along U.S. Highway 51 or Interstate 55
1: uh, that
0: kind of uh, divides Illinois north to south, uh, you know, kind of straight down the spine of the state. East of there... Uh, the rainfall has been uh, very limited, uh, well less than an inch over most of that eastern Midwest. And so that's where things uh, are uh, quite deficient when it comes to rainfall, uh, likely to not uh, get very much at all. And then over uh, an area of the northern Midwest in uh, south-central and uh, part of southeastern Minnesota into western Wisconsin, we saw rainfall of anywhere from two to five inches during the last week or so, and uh, there's been some definite uh, easing of uh, drier conditions, maybe some flooding along with that, but uh, the overall soil moisture has been quite beneficial. Uh, Much of Iowa had uh, less than an inch of rain in the last week, but two weeks ago you had uh, central and eastern Iowa getting rainfall from that tropical storm that kind of held together Ah, uh, Cristobal that uh, worked all the way from the Gulf of Mexico uh, clear north uh, almost to Lake Superior before it lost its uh, its tropical identity. Uh, so there, you know, so you've got a lot of uh, rainfall that had already occurred, and so a drier week didn't uh, you know didn't cause that big of a problem. And then in the far northern plains, uh, much of North Dakota had anywhere from uh, two to five inch uh, rainfall estimates over the last week. And I think that that is, uh, has brought some real benefit to spring wheat areas uh, during, the, uh, during that time frame. Uh, there was uh, a lot of that uh, western uh, half of the plains kind of west of the Missouri River where drought conditions had started to form, so there was some easing there. Uh, then in the uh, central and the southern plains, parts of central Kansas had anywhere from one to four inches of rain in the last week parts of southeastern nebraska did as well you had quite a few other areas though that had well less than a half an inch of uh, precipitation and so uh, rainfall is still in uh, a deficit over quite a bit of that central and uh, southern uh, crop area it's good it is uh, good for wheat harvest but obviously for dry land or non-irrigated crops it's not uh, it's not very beneficial and it uh, is leading to further uh, Demand for irrigation, and they've uh, been going through that quite a bit this season.
1: Yeah, we'll get an update on the Kansas wheat harvest a little bit later on. Um, so, sounds like, looks like there might be another tropical storm brewing that we should keep an eye on.
0: Uh, the The likelihood of a tropical system uh, affecting the Midwest over the next uh, week or so is uh, is pretty uh, pretty limited right now. The main prospect for the Midwest is that the uh, U.S. and the European forecast models are uh, in pretty good agreement that the next week to 10 days will feature upper air atmosphere ridging over the uh, southern plains and then extending into the southern Midwest. Uh, So that's going to keep the the, uh, likelihood of precipitation focused in the northern areas, the northern tier of states, the Dakotas, Minnesota. Maybe far northern Iowa and then along the Gulf Coast, uh, but as far as kind of the belt line of the central U.S., uh, that uh, scenario is still looking quite uh, hot and dry. And again, uh, right as uh, as the uh, uh, corn crop is uh, moving into pollination and uh, soybeans are getting ready to flower, uh, that's not a that's not a favorable situation.
1: As we look. Uh... Through the rest of July, and you've often mentioned the European models and the U.S. models sometimes disagree, differ on uh, those longer-range forecasts. What are they saying? Are they in agreement, or we have a difference of opinion?
0: Well, the the prospect for July is is uh, for the rest of the month is uh, is still looking basically on the above-normal track when it comes to temperatures and uh, precipitation is likely to uh, be near to below normal over the majority of uh, the central part of the country. The best chance for a precip is uh, is over the northern areas at, at kind of the periphery of uh, upper air ridging over the next uh, over the next uh, couple weeks and likely to stay with us now through the month of July uh, to uh, some extent. And uh, for a, a real big change to happen, it, it just doesn't... Uh, appear to be a, a real big feature uh, as we think about the next uh, couple weeks. And then that gets us uh, all the way into now the last 10 days of July. Get into that time frame, Mike, it's, uh, it's hard for a, uh, a real uh, notable switch in the pattern to develop uh, with uh, you know, the kinds of features that we're looking at right now.
1: So we're kind of getting locked in here. All right. Uh, what about other, around the world? Any uh, key weather events we should uh, watch?
0: Well, first of all, the uh, scenario in uh, in Russia and Ukraine uh, is starting to uh, show a little bit of a reduction in uh, the the uh, wheat harvest compared to a year ago, and uh, so that that may play into some uh, overall world wheat supply. Um, decline uh, to at least a small extent because, uh, you know, the, the uh, Black Sea region was quite dry during last spring, and um, it, it has started to make a difference in terms of a uh, reduced wheat yield and some early reports. Over the, um, over the Brazil uh, safrina crop areas, they're basically looking at a dry week for harvest, and uh, the yields on the Safrina corn crop are looking quite good in Brazil, uh, not only in Mato Grosso, but also in Paraná uh, for the uh, crop for this year. Maybe not quite as large as they had hoped for, you know, about three months ago, but still, you know, they're looking at a pretty good crop, and uh, they're going to have quite a bit to offer the world market when it's all said and done.
1: What about our severe weather as we look back at this, the spring we've had here in this country? How did it compare with the past years?
0: Well, severe weather uh, occurrence, uh, I think overall, has been a, a pretty average one. Uh, you know, we had, uh, we had our uh, rounds of outbreaks of, uh, of tornadoes and, and hailstorms, but uh, I think back to, uh, to some years when when conditions were, were stormier. Um, so overall, I think we had a, a fairly average year, and, uh, you know, now we, we do have the potential Uh, with uh, some of the storms that develop on that northern edge of uh, the high-pressure bubble over the next week for some severe weather to break out in the northern plains and the northern midwest, and that is going to
1: be a uh,
0: possible feature along with the rainfall that occurs. So it could be a pretty stormy situation for that area.
1: Something to keep a watch on for sure. Good to talk with you, Bryce. Thanks a lot. You're welcome, Mike. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Lots of biofuels news to go over with Brian Jennings with the American Coalition for Ethanol. Next on AOA.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
1: Always enjoy talking with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. He joins us now. Brian, thanks for being with us. Hope you had a good 4th of July. Thanks so much, Mike. I sure did. We got some time back at the farm and ranch,
3: and uh, it was good for the the body and the soul, so I did. Thanks for asking.
1: Well, you come back to plenty of challenges and issues, and one of them being well, let's start with EPA putting what looks to be a, a on hold, any uh, announcement of a proposal for the biofuels uh, levels for next year? Uh, what's up with this? We, we kind of thought we'd have this announcement by
3: now. We sure did, Mike. In fact, uh, I was placing a bet on Friday afternoon because the last couple of years, that's the Friday afternoon before the 4th of July because that's when EPA has been issuing the proposed uh, blending obligations for the coming year. Typically, that comes out during the July 4th period. There's a summer comment period, and the, the law, the statute, requires EPA to finalize those volumes by November 30th. But here we see uh, EPA saying that they are indefinitely going to delay the release of those 2021 volumes. There's some speculation that perhaps they're doing this to allow some small refinery exemption uh, requests to be made and decisions to be made on those, maybe even waiting until after the election. We've contacted EPA to try to find out what the story is, Mike, and we don't have any uh, word back from EPA. I think this might be one of those examples where uh, the people who know what's going on aren't talking and and those uh, who are talking probably don't know. So unfortunately, we're sort of in a wait and see period on this.
1: I mentioned this earlier in the program, but if they try to delay this till after the election, that's that's not going to play very well.
3: It's not going to play very well at all. Um, It's not going to play very well with Senator Ernst of Iowa, who, is increasingly it appears to be in a in a in a tight uh, race uh, for her Senate seat. It's not going to play very well for Senator Rounds of South Dakota, um, who I ran into this weekend over the Fourth of July, um, who was really eager to, to have EPA make good on some of the promises that they made regarding regarding the Renewable Fuel Standard. Every single member of the House of Representatives is up for for election um this fall it's not going to play well with them and we've we've thankfully got some bipartisan support obviously for the renewable fuel standard and pushing back on the administration but um we we're sick and tired of the games mike i don't know how many times you and i can talk about this um epa has a law to follow they have court decisions that have given them even more Uh, direction on how
1: to implement the renewable fuel standard and
3: and here we are um, they're playing games with the program.
1: Extremely frustrating for sure. We're talking with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Meanwhile we still don't know about these 52 small refinery exemption requests that the EPA is at least looking at uh, granting retroactively. Right. Retroactive
3: requests to comply with the RFS, or to be, excuse me, to to have their volumes waived, their blending obligations waived under the RFS, dating as far back as 2011, Mike, when President Obama was in office. Um, That's outrageous, and this practice has been called out by many members of Congress and others. The latest we've heard from EPA Administrator Wheeler on the topic of these 52 small refinery waivers is that they are waiting on the recommendations from the Department of Energy before they make any decision and that is sort of the the process by which these these occur but you know we we don't have a lot of faith in EPA because they issued 85 of these small refinery waivers just in the period of 3 years 2016 2017 and 2018 and often overlooked in this whole issue is that they have an additional 27 waiver requests pending for the 2019 RFS calendar year. And so um, there's a lot uh, of work piling up on the desk of Administrator uh, Wheeler when it comes to the Renewable Fuel Standard, and we just don't see him taking the action, again, that the law would suggest he ought to take, and that court decisions have um, You know, given him direction on we've talked about this January 10th Circuit Court victory, um, which should limit the number of these waivers going forward. EPA has done nothing since January. We're halfway through the year now. They've done nothing to try and comply with that court order.
1: Yeah, we talk a lot about Congress kicking the can down the road. Well, EPA is really doing that as well, putting off a lot of things here. As you said, a lot's piling up. Uh, Let's talk about uh, a proposal by House Democrats to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. They are calling for some things. There's been a concern, I know, in the biofuels industry with this push, you know, this green movement that somehow biofuels would be left out or overlooked. And everything would try to jump right to uh, electric or solar or whatever it might be, and and kind of overlook the benefits and the value of biofuels in uh, the move to a to a greener energy source. But uh, the Democratic proposal in the House actually does uh, actually spe- specify right uh, the use of biofuels. Uh, that's kind of unusual that it's <laughs> you actually get mentioned in one of these proposals.
3: It is unusual, Mike, and there is legitimate concern in the heartland from farmers and ranchers and biofuel producers about certain members of Congress taking these efforts to address climate change too far and painting agriculture and painting biofuels as part of the climate problem because we've seen Congress do this in the past. And so we try to learn our lesson from that experience Um, back in 2008, 2009, and specifically uh, myself and others at the American Coalition for Ethanol began engaging these members of Congress because we decided um, if we stand on the sidelines and don't have conversations with them about how corn farming has gotten better and ethanol production has gotten more efficient, um, they're going to try to paint us as part of the climate problem again when in fact we know biofuels are a major part of the solution to reduce greenhouse gases. So we engaged these House Democrats and frankly helped shape this report um, which recommends increasing the use of ethanol as one way to reduce greenhouse gases. And so we're really gratified by that. This is just a report, it's not legislation. It's likely nothing is really taken up until after the election. Um, But I think this lays some important groundwork for building the case to increase the use of ethanol um, through these policies that would address greenhouse gas emissions.
1: It does show, too, uh, the importance for the biofuels industry to do what you've talked about, make your case heard and known of what you are doing and what the industry can continue to do to help in this effort.
3: It really does. We've learned through the fly-ins that we do, and, every year. And this year, unfortunately, we haven't been able to do it due to the coronavirus pandemic. But if you only talk to your friends in Congress, if you only talk to your allies in Congress, you aren't building the political coalition necessary to get things done. And if you really want to go on offense in a state legislature or in Congress, you have to go talk to the undecideds, the the folks that don't know much about you. You have to go talk to those that don't particularly like you um, and try to have a dialogue, try to have a conversation, try to bring them up to speed with with modern day corn farming, uh, the way soil carbon can be sequestered in the soil through low low and no-till farming the way ethanol producers have dramatically reduced the energy, the BTUs that go into producing a gallon of ethanol and, and we've done that over the years it's not glamorous it's it's time consuming but i think it's beginning to pay off um, when you see pretty liberal members of congress democratic members of congress from places like california and florida writing a report that says hey one way to address climate change is to use more ethanol than we're using today and so we're we're hoping to continue to build upon this and make the case as, as these future policies are considered.
1: And finally, uh, do we are we still seeing an increase in uh, the use of well of of fuel, and of course, then ethanol? Are we drawing down some of those stocks? Finally, you know the the data
3: coming out of the Energy Administration Information Administration every week has been very encouraging. Stocks were at an all time high. Um, coming out of the April, March period, March and April period. We see those continue to be whittled down. Production numbers are up, and we're, we're okay with that because we do see those drawdown in stocks. And blending has continued to have some fits and starts, but, but increases here and there. You know, it'll be interesting to see over the holiday period how many people were on the roads. I saw a lot of traffic. Um, so we're hoping that that's the case again, and we, we increase demand. That's going to be the key. we got to increase demand for our product.
1: And hopefully we could uh, see some sales to China for ethanol, too. That would really help as well. Brian, good to talk with you again. Thanks a lot, and, uh, well, we'll see. Hopefully we'll talk about some action by EPA one of these days rather than the inaction. So we'll wait for that. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much, Mike. Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Well, coming up next, an update on the Kansas wheat harvest. How much is done? How's it going? We'll check in with Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat, next on AOA.
0: information america's farmers and ranchers
1: need to know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams well let's get an update on the kansas wheat harvest now with the ceo of kansas wheat justin gilpin justin thanks for joining us and uh, i assume that the holiday weekend saw a lot of uh, wheat harvest going on
4: well, Mike, it was a good holiday weekend, you know, and actually uh, we progressed pretty rapidly into uh, into into Friday or into Thursday night anyway. and and we actually got a line of thunderstorms that came through the northern part of the state that started in Colorado Thursday evening and just kind of rolled through northern part of Kansas, uh, most uh, kind of till early morning, Friday morning and it actually gave uh, some farmers a chance to take a pause and, and get out and celebrate uh, for a little bit anyway, uh, a little bit of Independence Day with with their family. So uh, it was a welcome welcome rain, even though it did pause harvest, but things got started up again yesterday.
1: Well, how much do you think's done across the state?
4: Well, we're about three-quarters of the way done, Mike. You know, we've made pretty good progress uh, throughout the state last week. We've had really high temperatures and and good wind. Uh, you know, it just hasn't been that typical type harvest, So It's just been such a kind of an odd year, the way the weather's shaped up, where, you know, typically harvests would just kind of start in the south and roll to the north, and you could really track har- harvest progress that way. But this year, just with, uh, you know, we've had higher humidity. You know, we had the challenges with the freeze in April that kind of the affected maturity dates of some of those central Kansas burrights. Uh, wheat fields uh, then we had uh, you know just uh, with the humidity and then some spotty showers it's it's been kind of a uh, scouting field to find out what's ready for farmers rather than just combines rolling from field to field but but for the most part uh, things have really picked up and uh, we're about well, i'd say we're about 75 percent down we'll see what the usda NAS report has set today
1: let's talk about yields and uh, test weights
4: well, you know, test weights as you and I talked about before—that's really been the theme with the hard red winter wheat crop. You know, coming out of Texas, Oklahoma, you know, really good, uh, really good test weights is that filling, uh, filling weather for that crop. Uh, you know, we had really exceptional 62 to 64 pound test weights, and as we got into South Central Kansas, those high yields and good test weights really continued. Uh, you know, 62 pounds or better. Uh, But as we've kind of gotten farther north now into central, north central Kansas, and getting out west into Colorado and southwest Nebraska, uh, the test weights are dropping off and yields dropping off, and that's really been a reflection of the uh, you know the high temperatures that we got at filling time, uh, that first part of first part of June, and of course the dry weather. You know that crop just didn't have quite the conditions that that southern crop had. So as far as uh, overall yields and test weights, we're starting to see that taper off a little bit central kansas if you think of central kansas kind of being that salina kansas area kind of where i-35 and I- i-70 intersect uh you know the, that that area probably was about the last of a really good wheat where we saw 60 to 65 bushel type type averages as we moved out to west central and north central and that northwest corner seeing yields Still, uh, you know, farmers are saying better than expected, but expectations were a little bit low because of the tough conditions. Uh, but seeing more 40 and 45 bushel type yields,
1: Mike. You mentioned it's been kind of an unusual year. So you're about 75% done here on the 6th of July. How would that compare to most years?
4: You know, we're just slightly a little bit ahead of where a five-year average would be. You know, if you compare it to where we were last year, Uh, we're we're probably quite a bit ahead of where we were last year you know we just um, you know if you try to compare the temperatures that we've had uh, for this summer and and looking at the forecast for this week I know you've talked about it on your program there's there's going to be some high temperatures again this week and and just we had a really hot June that just allowed that crop to to dry down and uh, probably a little bit earlier than it should have in some areas but allowed harvest to progress and so for the most part, I'd say we're we're slightly ahead of where where we would be, and and that that's another reason why when we get a little bit of a pause due to some of those spot, uh, those rain showers and storms that pop up, as long as we miss the hail, I think uh, for the most part the the cooler weather and uh, precipitation that comes with those storms is, has been welcomed.
1: Yeah, for the most part, the weather has cooperated for you, hasn't it? I mean, you you've avoided a lot of major weather problems. You know,
4: it, for the most part, I think that's that's probably a good way to characterize it, Mike. You know, we have what you want at harvest time is is high temperatures and and wind and allow the combines with, uh, to get in the fields with with solid ground and be able to get that crop out when it's ripe. You know, we just like any year, we've had those those. You know, it it's that comes with the Kansas wheat harvest those thunderstorms that pop up and and some areas that get hit by, by hail storms, we have lost some acreage due to hail, which, which happens every year, and it's really unfortunately when that happens locally to those farms. But uh, for the most part, you know, we've, we haven't had any issues with too much moisture and uh, wheat uh, after uh, been threshing out pretty good, and, and so uh, the kernel characteristics look good. You know, with these last rains, uh, you know, just to follow up on your test weight question earlier, you know, we have seen those. Uh, drop off maybe a point or two kind of uh, uh, as we've gotten into these areas that have had some of these these storms that caused uh, the farmers to be out of of cutting for a while, seeing those test weights be kind of 59 pounds where they were about 60 or 61 pounds. So you're seeing that drop off a little bit, but for the most part, kernel characteristics have come in really really good and uh, would expect that, uh, that to, con- to continue this week with the high temperatures forecasted um, without any major major rain events
1: coming. So hopefully we talk again next week. We'll pretty well have the, that wrapped up, right? You'll be able to give us uh, pretty close to the uh, final numbers, maybe.
4: Yeah, I think so, Mike. I think uh, we should make pretty good progress. Uh, uh, it'll be a be an interesting week. We're supposed to have temperatures out west between 100 and 105 degrees uh it'll be pretty stressful Maybe some of the dry land corn out there one thing of note you know proteins are kicking up a little bit also so uh, producers ought to keep an eye on that and be looking to extract value where they can with their crop knowing what kind of uh
1: what kind of right. quality they have with their crop we'll talk more about that next week thanks justin
4: thank you and thanks all you do for agriculture mike
1: Uh, Thank you. Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat. That wraps up for today. Stay well, everyone. Thanks for joining us on AOA.